We've got uh, here before us uh, Mark 13, of course, the Olivet Prophecy. And I, I'd like to repeat what I said when we looked at this, uh, when we did Matthew 24, that it seems to me that the whole prophecy does have uh, an intended fulfillment in AD 70. You know, there are the disciples in their rather childish way looking at the temple and how great it is, and Jesus says, no, the time is coming when this is all going to be cast down, and then he gives all these signs. Um, and yet it is quite clear that there are parts of the Olivet Prophecy that have a distinct application to the last days, to the second coming of Christ. And we saw when we looked at Matthew 24, how when he talks about the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, power and great glory, etc., and the angels being sent out to gather the believers, etc., um, that this is alluded to in 1 Thessalonians 4 and applied to the Lord himself descending from heaven with a shout, uh, and this is what Paul calls the coming of the Lord. And whatever application it had to AD 70, that application was, was very limited. And there are uh, a, a number of uh, reasons to think that the whole uh, prophecy was specifically, uh, is specifically intended for our last days, describing the actual coming of Christ. And yet, and yet, Quite clearly, it was intended to have an application to AD 70. That is the whole lead-in to the prophecy. Look at this great temple, and Jesus says, but it's going to be thrown down. So, I suggest that God's purpose is somewhat open-ended, and of course, Israel could have accepted Jesus when he first came. They need not have crucified him. Um, God may have foreknown that, but the fact is that they didn't have to, and it was not his will, and it was his desperate hope that this is my beloved son, surely they will reverence him. And so, the whole language of the coming of Christ, which we have in the Olivet Prophecy, I think must refer to his literal appearing in glory at the last day, for the resurrection of the dead, and, and the judgment. And yet it is clearly primarily in the context of a prediction of the destruction of the temple in AD 70. So I conclude that it was one of God's possible potential futures that Jesus could have come in AD 70. But in fact, that was delayed. It didn't work out like that. And I suggested when we talked about Matthew 24 that that could have been because of, uh, for example, verse 10, the gospel must first be preached unto all the nations, but that actually didn't really happen because the early believers simply couldn't get their head round that salvation was in fact for Gentiles and the clear, simple words of the Great Commission to take the gospel into all the world to absolutely all nations and every, every person was simply not accepted by them because they were so hung up with only wanting people from their own cultural background in the club. And then when some did start to see it in wider terms, that no, we should go to the Gentiles, and the Jewish believers made all this bellyache about, no, 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 we can't have that, and politics took over in the church, and as always happens when politics take over in the church, preaching is damaged and, and comes to pretty well a standstill. And so that could be one reason why, in fact, the uh, coming of Christ did not happen in AD 70. And also, of course, the divided state of the church, the refusal of the Jews to repent uh, and to accept uh, their mistake in killing Jesus, and etc. And so, 
the whole thing is to some degree open-ended, and so therefore what was intended to be fulfilled in AD 70 was only partially fulfilled then, and the main fulfillment, as in the coming of the Lord, the parousia, the literal presence of Jesus, has got to be future. And that will be when, when Christ comes. And why is it that some people get very caught up about this idea and they say, no, 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 it can't be that the Olivet Prophecy has any application to the last days. They can look at the hardcore evidence and still say, no, I'm not going to believe that because people only believe what they want to believe. And therefore, when people uh, disbelieve something and say, I refuse to believe that, there is normally uh, a psychological reason for that. There is normally a reason why they don't want to believe that, even though they may not be conscious of that, and they may not articulate it in so many words, because they're not conscious of it. And I think here in Mark 13, just reading through it, the, the general impression one gets is of an awful situation, definitely of tribulation. Verse 24 uh, after that tribulation there will be a, a tribulation uh, many or the majority as the Greek means uh, will, will turn away, love will grow cold, there will be break up of families, verse 12 uh, persecution by, by the governments and we, we don't want to go through that, we don't want that, we would far rather be sipping our, sipping our cappuccino and uh, and the Lord Jesus comes back whilst we're sitting at our computer or with our headphones on, listening to our, whatever it is, our, uh, our mobile device, listening to, to, to a, a talk about the Bible. And, oh, yeah, and you know what? Jesus has just walked around the corner. No. <laughs> I wish it was going to be like that. But these, these chapters that, that uh, contain the Olivet Prophecy give a totally different impression. And we don't want to be persecuted. So we tend to say, or we would prefer to say, yeah, no, this is all, uh, yeah, this is about some other time, but it's not about my time. And yet, it is about our time. Why then is it that we must pass through tribulation immediately before Christ returns? Well, I guess you, like me, have sometimes reflected what an extraordinary thing it would be if Jesus comes in my lifetime because if he comes okay I go to judgment and by his grace I will be accepted into his kingdom and that means that I will never die we will never go through what every everybody else has gone through and that is tasting of death and that is a great honour and because of that I think we have to be taken in the last days through a process which identifies us with the death and the sufferings of Jesus because that in the end is one, one point of death for the believer that the death that he died becomes our death and that this is what Romans 6 says about baptism that we commit ourselves to living his life and dying his death and yet if we don't as it were get a chance to die well how are we to be identified with his death and I think that's why the Olivet Prophecy, and actually here in Mark 13, I think more than in, in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, we see it emphasized that what he went through then is what we are going through now. 
uh, well, what we will go through in the tribulation of the last days. And in fact, that word that's translated tribulation that you've got there in, in 24, verse 24, and also in, uh, in Matthew 24, uh, this is the word that Paul uses when he talks about filling up the afflictions of Christ in my body. The afflictions, the tribulation of Christ. So the great tribulation is ultimately that of the, uh, of the Lord Jesus and his time of suffering. And the purpose of the final tribulation is to bring us of, to be of one mind with him in his affliction, in his tribulation. And he talks uh, about the end coming. Here in verse 7 and verse 13, the end and yet Jesus talks about his death as being the end. Um, if you're on the references, Matthew 26, 58, Luke 22, 37, John 13, verse 1. So then the end is the death of Christ on the cross, and yet the end is also the end of the tribulation. So then we are to endure to the cross. Uh, to, to the end, Matthew 24:13. The same word in Hebrews 12, uh, 2 and 3, about how Christ endured the cross. You look at the, the phrase, the hour, how G Jesus user, uses it in, let's say, John 16. He uses the term, the hour, to refer both to the hour of his own sufferings and the hour of tribulation for his people. You can quickly look through John 16, verses 2, 4, and 32. So then, our suffering, our hour of tribulation, is his hour of sufferings. And just running through what Jesus predicts here, it's so full of allusion to what he was about to go through in Gethsemane and in crucifixion. I'll just uh, read through. They shall deliver you up to, the, up to the councils. Christ was delivered to the Sanhedrin. You should be beaten. Christ was buffeted. Come before rulers and kings for a testimony. Jesus was brought before rulers and also kings. The chief priests, Herod, Pilate. Brother shall betray the brother. Judas, Peter. Don't turn back to take up your garment. Isn't that John Mark's linen garment? False Christs. Barabbas. The sun shall be darkened, as at the crucifixion. Watch and pray. In Gethsemane, he says, watch and pray. Because you don't know when your Lord is, is going to come. I'm now reading from uh, here in Mark 13, verse uh, 35. Whether at evening, that's the Last Supper, at midnight, that's when he was in Gethsemane, at the cock crowing, that's Peter's denials, or in the morning, trial and crucifixion happened uh, in the morning lest he find you sleeping it's the disciples in Gethsemane now the point of all those connections I think is to just emphasize that our suffering of the last days is to bring us to know the sufferings of Christ and of course particularly in the context of our reflection upon him and his sufferings uh, uh, the breaking of bread we are reminded that we are to share in his death and also in his life right now. And in a sense, 
the more you do that, the less you will need the tribulation. And there is, of course, the possibility that we need not go through the tribulation. Because there is that passage in Isaiah 26 that talks about, Come, my people, enter into your chambers until the tribulation be overpassed. Rather like Israel and Egypt were preserved from suffering the, the later plagues that came upon Egypt. So it could be that if we are faithful, we need not go through this, that somehow we will be hidden. How uh, mechanically that will happen, I wouldn't worry, but it will happen. Rather like Jesus says in his letters to the churches, um, if you keep the word of my patience, I will keep you from the hour of tribulation that comes upon all the earth. If they might need to go through that tribulation, but they might not. Now this sort of open-ended uh, element or aspect to God's purpose uh, I think you, brought, you see brought out here again in verse 18 in Mark 13 here um, verse 18 pray that it doesn't happen or depending on which text you read pray that your flight or the time of your flight is not in winter now that indicates that the exact timing of events in the tribulation can be changeable in accordance with the fervency of our prayers. Now, quite how to interpret that verse, that verse 18 is on my list of some of the Bible's hardest verses to understand, and honestly, send me an email or, or say, uh, now, if, or, uh, if you really have any great insight into that, because I find that verse very difficult. The more I think about it, the harder it gets. I certainly don't see any real AD 70 application for it. What I can suggest is the, that the exact timing of the Roman offer of amnesty, because they, like, they offered a, an amnesty um, and allowed people to leave the uh, encircled cities, um, that that could have been dependent on the intensity of prayer by the uh, Jerusalem Ecclesia. Now, all I'm saying is that the exact timing of events is to some degree open. And you get this uh, further on in, in verse 19, in, in the very, uh, very next verse. Sorry, verse 20. Except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now again, difficult, but I think it does imply that there was a plan, a plan A, that turned into a plan B. There was a specific number of days that were, that were intended for their suffering, and this was then shortened. Now, we should take all this really seriously, even though the details, I suspect, we, we cannot exactly understand but I think the principle is clear in verses 18 and 20 that the exact timing of events and the, the length of tribulation can be shortened can be changed because of human prayer and so in a sense the days are shortened and yet, in another sense, 
they have almost been extended according to uh, how Peter seems to reason in Second Peter 3 that because God wants all people to come to repentance in one sense he has extended the days the bridegroom tarries and that is the very same word translated uh, just a few verses later in our Bibles in Matthew 25 uh, sorry a few verses earlier um, in Matthew 24 um, my Lord delays his coming well he does delay the bridegroom tarries same word, tarried, delayed, same word, same Greek word there's an element to which the Lord delays and yet there is also an element to which he hastens the days are shortened again Habakkuk 2 verse 3 the vision in one sense will not tarry, will not delay and yet, uh, I'm reading from the RV, it hasteth toward the end. <laughs> so I think that rather oh, obscure verse there in Habakkuk, it seems to be saying that in one sense, no, there's no delay. In another sense, it's actually speeded up. Yet it does delay. And though it delay, wait for it, Habakkuk says. So what's he saying? Is it delay or not delay? He says, no, it doesn't delay it hastes towards the end and then he says well though it delays wait for it be patient I can only say that there is a final algorithm which is of course far beyond us which determines the day and the hour of the Lord's coming and within that algorithm we must simply accept that our prayers can maybe at least for us personally hasten the coming can shorten the days so then, these are the days of tribulation. Really quite, uh, quite clearly, this will be uh, verse 19. In those days shall be tribulation, or they shall be days of tribulation, such as not been the like from the beginning of the creation, which God created until now, and never shall be. Incidentally, that I think uh, proves for sure that this is not talking about AD 70. It's talking about a time of affliction, days of affliction, which will never be repeated. If you're going to say that applies to AD 70, then you, go, you really have to say that the, the, the affliction and tribulation of the last days is not going to be as bad as what it was in AD 70. And I, I cannot really see that as, as a valid way of looking, uh, looking at this verse. So then the days of affliction and this is the Septuagint of Jeremiah 30 verse 7 the times of Jacob's trouble Daniel 12 verse 1 there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to the same time and at that time your people should be delivered and he goes on to talk about uh, those written in the book the resurrection and the judgment and the reward of the faithful which clearly isn't happening in AD 70 so then the time of trouble the days of Jacob's distress at the hand of Esau this is in a sense variable so then because of that and because we will perceive that this means that we are going to be praying in the last days intensely and you know we know we should pray intensely but I'm afraid we don't as we should do and yet, if there's this tribulation going on, it's going to force us to do that. And yet, of course, if you learn the intensity of prayer without it, you don't need that tribulation in that sense. 
And of course, another <coughs> whole uh, a window onto this, what I'm calling this open ended kind of purpose of God, uh, as reflected in the Olivet Prophecy, is uh, in the parable there of the, of the fig tree in verse 28. We are to learn the parable of the fig tree. Now, I wonder if he has a specific fig tree in mind. Well, not so long ago, Jesus had told them a parable in Luke 13 uh, about the parable of the fig tree on which he expected to see fruit. And he didn't, didn't find it. And, of course, Jesus had really quite recently cursed a fig tree because he expected there to be at least the beginnings of fruit on that tree. He was hungry, that is, he's looking for the repentance of Israel. He comes to the fig tree, there's nothing there. He would have been happy to, to eat even the immature, unripe uh, figs that were there, but they weren't there, and so he cursed it. So then, the fig tree, I think, is Israel. <clears throat> he's referring to the fig tree that he cursed, and he's referring to his earlier parable of Israel as a fig tree with the fruit on the tree representing their repentance and spiritual fruit. And that is uh, an Old Testament idea that fruit on the fig tree represents Israel's spirituality. Hosea 9 verse 10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree at her first time, but they went to Baal Peor. And uh, th th there's a number of these uh, Old Testament uh, images which are used about fruit on the tree of Israel speaking about their spiritual, spiritual fruit. And so that's another factor. And I think that was a factor in the, the, the possibility of Christ coming in AD 70 being, uh, being delayed. That if Israel had repented, if there had been fruit on the fig tree, the harvest would have come. But there wasn't. And so when there is, then the harvest will come. This again is picked up in, in Revelation as so much of the Olivet Prophecy is uh, commented on and expanded upon in, in the Revelation that when the harvest is ripe, then the sickle is put in. So the exact timing of the second coming is again dependent upon factors which we have some control over. Our spirituality, our faith, the repentance of Israel, which in a sense we, we do have a say in, in that we can witness to Israel. And the more powerfully we witness to the Jewish people, and the even to bring forth immature fruit, I think that that is another thing that is going to hasten the coming of, of Jesus. And so, it doesn't have to be the full fruit on Israel. It can be just the beginning. And the, the, the branch becoming tender, putting forth leaves, and the leaves cover the, the immature fruit. Possibly the Jews for Jesus movement, I, I know they're largely Trinitarian, uh, sadly. Uh, possibly the Jews for Jesus movement is a fulfillment of that. But for sure, if we got out there with the true gospel uh, and preached the real Christ, I do really believe that this would hasten the, uh, the coming of the Lord. So then, I think the, the bottom line for us in, in practice 
is that we are being asked to identify with the crucified Jesus. Remember how I showed that through here, through the Olivet Prophecy, there are these allusions to the sufferings of Jesus. The whole purpose of this tribulation is, I'm afraid, to get us in shape. Because, quite honestly, if Jesus came right now and said, okay, well done, by grace, uh, here you go, here you have it, eternal life, I don't honestly think we living in this terribly soft generation that we do, and that doesn't mean we don't have hard times, but in many ways we are the softest of all generations there's ever been on this planet. I do think that we, I'm sorry to say this, but I, I think that I anyway, if not all of us, need that tribulation, and yet we don't actually have to need it, because if we really take the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in symbol into our lives, into ourselves, we will not need to pass through this tribulation. If we would take the gospel to the whole world, we would not need to be forced to. It's like in the early church. If they had taken Jesus at his word and spread the gospel, obeyed the Great Commission, there would not have been the need for the persecution which drove the Jewish believers into the Gentile world, and they took the gospel with them, and thus the gospel was spread. If there had been food on the fig tree, the whole 8070 application of this chapter we just read might have come true. So, so much depends on us, and we think that depends on me. Well, okay, even if I have a jolly good go, well, if the others are messed up, so why bother? No, I don't think so. It may be true for you. That if we get there, as it were, in our identification with the sufferings of Jesus, there will be a little sanctuary. Or, come, my people, into your chambers until the indignation be overpassed.